Awesome. How are you guys doing tonight? Hey, great news. Our discipleship app was released two days ago. So if you want to go to the app store for iPhones, we have it. It's a little salmon color uh, icon. Encourage you to get it even tonight while we're sitting here because we're going to look, be looking at part of it. And if you have an uh, Android uh, using phone, it's use our makedisciples.me. There's the web address for it. So this is just an encouraging thing. And I'm, I'm hearing people that are coming up to me and t- telling me about new discipleship relationships they've started. It's so exciting there. And guys, thanks for braving the Arctic tundra to get here tonight. Wow, you're, you are the brave ones who, who made it through the cold winter weather here in San Diego, California. I was sitting next to a woman on the plane coming back this past week, and uh, she'd come from Indianapolis. I said, how cold is it in Indianapolis right now? She said, negative 12. So a little different than here, but we are enduring this cold winter. Hey, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 19. We're in a series called Discipleship revolution, and we're talking about Jesus's plan for transforming the world. It says, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Why don't you pray with me as we begin our time together? Father, we ask that you'd open up our eyes to see the truth of your word. We ask that our hearts once again would be fertile and tender soil to receive your word, and we would bear fruit as you have called us to bear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I often embarrass myself. And I often do it because I'm not watching where I'm going. So let me explain it. Uh, we, we would take a lot of road trips growing up as a family, and one of the um, maybe genetic deficiencies in my family line is that we're not blessed with large bladders. And a kind of awkward confession at church, but um, so we often have to stop at different pit stops along the way. And so we kind of knew where all the McDonald's were going to be uh, on the way from, from our home across the Texas desert to New Mexico. And here's the deal about McDonald's. You can always depend on the men's restroom is always on the left and the women's is always on the right. Men's is on the left, women's is on the right. And so I just got in a rhythm of we'd pull up and my dad would say, okay, kids, hurry up. And we'd run in and I'd just beeline it to the left side into the restroom, go, and then we'd run back out. We'd be on our way down the road. And so while this was happening, stop after stop through small Texas towns, one time I didn't even look up and I run in to the men's restroom. I kind of noticed that they're lacking urinals in this one. I thought that was a little strange. Ran into a stall. Is this okay to be talking about at church? Okay. Uh, Went into a stall, and at that moment, I don't know if like a women's conference or convention let out or something, but all of a sudden, this truckload of women come into my restroom where I am, and I'm going, what in the world are these women? Talking, talking all loud, and you know, when men go into the restroom, we don't talk, but for some reason... You women, you just think, this is the place to talk. So they come in, talking, and all of a sudden I hear this, there's a man in our restroom, there's a man in our restroom. I'm like, wait a second, this might not be men's restroom. 
And I'm looking out. I kind of like peek through the crack. And there's a woman there. And they're pointing at the stall. And, and so I'm thinking, okay, well, certainly they'll leave. If a man's in the restroom, that's going to freak him out. No, instead, just more and more women are, are coming in. And they're like, there's a man in the restroom. There's a man. In the, and all of a sudden, there is a big crowd. They are not leaving. They're like trying to smoke me out of there. And so finally, I just decide, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to make a break for it. So I throw open the door, like Billy the Kid, you know, at a gunfight. I throw open the door. I'm like, ah, running through. Ah, they're screaming as I'm running through. I'm like, excuse me, excuse me. I run to the car like I've, I've robbed McDonald's. Bob, Dad, in the car, go. We pull out. What's going on? I was in the women's restroom. I realized that day it really matters that you look where you're going in life. You know, you hope you learn your lesson after something like that, but I had to learn it again a hard way. I was in eighth grade, and I was at a basketball camp. I was at the University of Texas, and when you're in eighth grade, you care what people think. You know, that is the tender, vulnerable age where it matters what people say about you. I was at the University of Texas basketball camp, and I grew a little faster than most kids, and so I was doing pretty good at basketball, even though I wasn't the most coordinated. I could just hold the ball over my head, and no one could reach it, you know, so I was doing pretty good, and, and so I was feeling good about myself, and, and what we'd do is we'd walk from the basketball courts down the sidewalk to the big college cafeteria. And you know, when you're an eighth grader on a college campus and you're kind of, you know, ruling the courts, you're thinking like you're the man. And so I, I'm out in front. There are a hundred boys at this camp, a hundred eighth grade boys at this camp. And I'm like in the front of the pack and feeling good about myself and telling a story to like all these guys. I kind of like telling stories. I have a crowd of guys behind me and I'm just entertaining them and having them laugh. And what I don't realize is there's a stop sign, right? I slam into the stop sign with my head. And it just goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I see stars. I stagger back. You know, the, the people behind me are like basically catching me. At that moment, 100 little eighth grade hands point up and start just laughing hysterically, pointing at me. At that moment, there is no way to play that off. You know, there, there's nothing you can say to act like you meant to hit the sign with your head. It matters where you're looking in life. It matters where you're looking now. Both of those stories pale in comparison to what would happen to me next. I was in high school, and uh, I've told you guys many times, my hero in high school was Zach Morris of Saved by the Bell. And so I had actually, uh, I actually had a lot of long uh, hair back then, and I bleached my hair blonde, and those were the days, and uh, had this little headband, and I had a sports car. I had T-tops, so T-tops were like a removable hard top. And it was a sunny day leaving my high school, and so I actually took the time to take the T-tops off of my car, and I have my blonde hair flowing in the wind. I've got the, you know, it's just the beginning of rap music is taking off. You know, I'm on the cutting edge of rap, you know, driving down, and, and there's this one long, long single lane road that leaves my high school. And so I'm going down this just thinking, you know, this is a good day. I'm the stuff. And then this, this group of cute girls is walking down the sidewalk where my car is going. I'm like, oh, this is perfect. They're going to see me. They're going to see the car with the top down. They're going to see my blonde hair. They're going to hear the rap music. And so I, you know, and they're not looking at me, so I go, and then do the like little point 
eh, eh, and I point at them. When I point, I'm no longer looking forward. Long line of cars. Line of cars stops. Robert pointing, clicking, and Robert, bam, hits a car in front of me. You know, the girl's like, oh. We have to stop the whole line of traffic. I mean, my head goes, whoosh. I slam into the car in front of me. We stop the whole line of traffic while I get out. And I'm explaining, yes, yeah, sorry, honking at some cute girls, sorry. It matters where you're looking in life. And this is the very thing that the first guy that discipled me, his name was Mark Masterson, was trying to teach me. He was explaining that in discipleship we have a, a three key approach, three focuses in discipleship. He called it this. Number one, focus on the throne. We're trying to grow in our looking up towards heaven. We're trying to grow, secondly, focus on the throne. Secondly, our lifestyle of holiness. We want our core values to start looking like Jesus. And thirdly, he said we're going to have a focus on the Great Commission, which is sharing the gospel and making disciples. Each week, we'd sit in the student union building of our uh, college campus, and he'd say, Robert, we're going to do three things. We're going to focus on the throne. We're going to have a lifestyle of holiness, and we're going to have a Great Commission lifestyle. Now, this was great when I was meeting with college students, and he was pounding this in me, so I would share this every time I met with someone I was discipling. But I came into my first challenge when we took this over and, and went into the nation of Turkey, and I told you guys that story about four weeks ago when we started this discipleship series that we actually saw some young Muslim students come to faith in Jesus, and we left the beginnings, the seedlings of a little church there. And so Six months later, I take another trip back to Turkey to disciple these young believers, to nurture them in their faith. And I, I'll never forget being in a hotel room, meeting with a, a young man named Hassan, who had made a decision to follow Jesus. And I said, now, Hassan, we've got to learn to focus on the throne. You've got to learn to focus on the throne. And so I took him to the book of Revelation, and I showed him that there was a river of fire coming from the throne of God, and that Jesus has a sword coming out of his mouth and his hair is white as snow and there's a robe reaching down to his ankles and there's the cherubim and the seraphim flying around. There are four living creatures with all these different heads and he finally stops me and goes, Robert, this is very complex and I am but a new Christian. I am a baby. I do not understand. <laughs> he said, please make it simple. I, I realized then that this whole phraseology of focus on the throne and these things that are a true, beautiful, biblical reality were over his head. And I needed to make my discipleship terminology much more simple. And so a thought popped in to my mind, and it comes straight from Scripture. As you're looking at the life of Jesus, you have these glimpses into his actions. Let me just explain it this way. In John chapter 17, I'm just going to put a few verses up. It says, after saying all these things, this is Jesus' greatest prayer. It says, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. John 11:41. it says, in the raising of Lazarus from the dead, so they took away the stone, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you 
that you have heard me. In the healing of a deaf and mute man in Mark chapter 7, verse 34 in the English Standard Version, it says, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, apaptha, that is, be open. Jesus continually in Scripture would take a moment and look up and address the Father. And so we decided, let's, let's change this phraseology from focus on the throne to simply look up. The first key in a discipleship meeting, you're going to do three different things whenever you meet with someone in discipleship. It's very simple, but the first thing is you're going to teach them to look up. And I draw this little icon right here to help people know how to do that. Any people with uh, brown eyes in this room tonight? Yeah. All right, brown-eyed people. So look up, right? Whoa, it's... <laughs> hmm. So much for the brown-eyed people. Um, let's, let's do that. So look up. We're going to look up. You can draw this little picture. I draw this when I'm sharing with people. What does it mean to look up? It's all about teaching people to have a friendship with God, to love God. God, I love when people fall in love. Have you ever noticed that when someone falls in love, it changes them? Like it changes how they look. It changes, you, you, you see just a fresh life in their eyes. Ladies in this room, I love it when you guys fall in love. Like I love watching a, a, a girl fall in love. She goes from kind of, you know, just may, maybe being down or a little insecure to all of a sudden she's like beaming. Hello. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and there's just this fresh confidence. And, and, and a woman, when she's fallen in love, she is glowing. I love that. And men, when you fall in love, you change from kind of like a, a stinky ape, you know, to, to all of a sudden like this princely, hello, my dear. And, and, and you become this regal, No, you actually shower. It's amazing what happens when men fall in love. And, you know, the toughest jerk kind of guy who's been all gruff and mean. You get him with the, 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 the woman he loves, and all of a sudden, he turns in from this, like, just gruff-looking, mean guy to, hello, my baby. You know, I mean, they, they become so sweet. I, I, I love what love does to a person. Have you seen someone fall in love with Jesus before? Oh, my goodness. The, the light in their eyes, it changes their face. You can feel the presence of God around them. It's absolutely irresistible when someone falls in love with Jesus. And this is the number one thing we want to do in discipleship is help people look up. Help people fall in love. There was a religious leader that comes to Jesus and he's trying to test him and he says, so what's the greatest commandment, Jesus? And, and Jesus looks at him and says this, in Mark 12, 29, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The main thing I want someone to get in discipleship is, are you loving God with all your heart? Do the affections of your heart go to him? When, when you're at rest, are you thinking about him? How about your soul? Do your desires, do your longings, do they center around the person of Jesus? How about your mind? Are you captured with him? Do your thoughts just keep coming back? Oh, I'm sorry. I was distracted. I was thinking about Jesus again. It, that is what we are wanting to move people towards. 
when we're discipling them. And, and this is what happened with these two different guys that discipled me. One was Jimmy Cyber. He still invests in my, in my life. He's really my pastor. I, I remember on this Mexico trip, it's what we've modeled our our all people's Mexico trip after I was a college student. I'm in, in, in Juarez and, and we're in an orphanage and we're just shoveling gravel. And, and I'm, I'm next to him and we're doing this work and we're having a dialogue. But whenever we'd stop, he'd just start singing. And he's singing this old delirious song. Jesus, Holy One, you are my heart's desire, King of kings. And I'm, I'm going, every time he stops talking to me, he's just kind of singing this song. And I just wasn't used to guys singing songs. You know, I mean, he's just singing the song. And I, I grew up in church, but the men didn't sing in my church. You know, the women would sing, Almighty Fortress. They'd sing like that. And the men, for some reason, they'd just go like, boop, 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 boop. Like they wouldn't, it was like some weird cultural thing in my church that the men didn't sing. Like, boop, 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 boop. And so here he is, this man's man. I mean, we're shoveling gravel. You don't get more manly than shoveling gravel in Mexico. But he's just singing his heart out to Jesus. I'm like, this guy is in love. He's not trying to just, you know, in a worship service. No, just the natural inclination of his heart is to sing songs of worship to Jesus. And that just stuck in me. Does my heart just naturally rise in song to Jesus? And I thought, I want to be like that. Mark Masterson, the first guy who discipled me, he, he helped me through all these practicals. I mean, he came over to my house and helped me learn how to spend time with Jesus, how to study the Bible. I had heard for years in church, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible, study the Bible, but it wasn't until someone came and actually sat down with me and showed me how to have a FaceTime, that's what we call our devotional time, showed me how to do that, how to pray. He said, let's pray for the nations. I'm like, pray for the nations? How peculiar. But then he'd pray, and I'd hear his heart for the unreached to the earth. And I, I started getting that. And the things that were on Jesus' heart started getting on my heart because he was giving me practicals. Guys, that's why we have these discipleship lessons. Because they're practicals. Because we want to love Jesus, but we, we might not know how. And so we're giving practicals. So if you got on the discipleship app, lesson five on the discipleship app it's called FaceTime, and, and you can go under these foundational lessons. Go to lesson five, and you take someone through how to spend time with God. We all in this room, if you're here, you'd agree it's good to spend time every day with Jesus, but some of us don't know how, and so that's why we walk people through it practically. This is what it means to teach people in our discipleship meetings how to look up. So every discipleship meeting, I'm just wanting to say, hey, how are you growing in your friendship, in your love relationship? with Jesus. Now secondly is this. Secondly is this. It's, we, we call it look in. Say look in. Look in. In Matthew 5 through 7, chapter 5 through 7, we see Jesus' longest sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. He shares the Beatitudes. And, and then he goes on to explain what it's like to follow God. And, and here was his basic presupposition. It's not just about having a spiritual connection with God, but when you have that, when you fall in love, it actually transforms the way you live. It changes your heart attitude, and it changes your actions. It changes your actions. 
Now, this might sound so basic to you sitting here tonight, but you've got to understand at the time, in a Greek and, and Roman world, these Greek religions, you would have a spiritual experience, maybe go into some Greek temple and, and have all these prayers, but then you would go out and live a life of pagan revelry, indulging in all kinds of sexual immorality and, and debauchery and, and drunkenness. And Jesus was saying, no, if you're connected with God and a God of love, then it, your spirituality will be wed with your morality. And so this is what looking in is all about. I, I draw this. Let's see if I can get this marker out. It seems to be stuck. All right, here we go. I'm drawing with a marker and an eraser together. Any blue-eyed people in the room? Ow, oh, a little wolf out there. All right, um, here we go. Whoops, look in. I totally messed it up. Look in right here. So draw this. You're looking in. What are you looking in at? You're looking in at your own heart. How is my life reflecting the values of the kingdom? You know, in discipleship, we're actually talking to the people we're mentoring about a kingdom lifestyle and seeing if our life is reflecting the values of Jesus. Anybody ever on a swim team before? Anybody? A few of you on a swim team. Here's the interesting thing about a swim team. Swim teams are so much bigger than the average team. Like when I was on a soccer team, you might have 12, 14 kids on the soccer team. You're on a basketball team, it might even be smaller, 10 people. On a swim team, I think we had 150 people on the Round Rock Dolphins. Now, I don't know why you'd be named Dolphins in the middle of Central Texas. We should have been like Round Rock Bass or something. But Dolphins sounds cooler than Bass. So we were the Round Rock Dolphins. We had one coach, 150 kids. And so the coach would give some, some advice to us, but then just tell us to swim, and he couldn't get around 150 kids. And so basically, you're just swimming laps. But one day when we realized, hey, I want to get better, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some actual personal coaching. So we did something called stroke clinic, where we actually paid the coach to come and work with two or three of us in a private pool. And so here's what the coach did. He came, and he observed just me. He said, Robert, swim the lap of the pool. And he then analyzed my stroke. And then he actually took a video camera and filmed me swimming and said, okay, get out. And then he showed me, this is what your stroke looks like. He all of a sudden starts explaining to me, you know, Robert, when you're doing this with your hand at the end, so I, I do this weird thing where I was putting my hand in the water and then I go like this at the end. I thought I had a little style or something, you know, a little, maybe a little Michael Jackson thriller or something. And, 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 and so he said, when you're doing that, you're just wasting time. And then he said, also, look at your knees. And, you know, instead of kicking like a perfect Olympic swimmer, my knees would be like this, you know, kind of like the funky chicken. And so he's like, stop bending your knees so much. And when I was swimming, you know, and you've seen little kids do this, instead of keeping my body straight and pulling like this, I was going like this, you know. And so I looked like I was hula dancing. And so he helped me understand by that one-on-one -on -one examining of my stroke, how I wasn't lining up with what 
an accurate freestyle stroke would look like. And he started helping correct that. And here's what happened. By the end of the season, I went from one of the worst swimmers in my age group to winning the big trophy for most improved. Why? Because I actually had a personal coach. Guys, this is what discipleship is all about. We're actually helping someone look in and examine their life. It's one thing to hear a preacher sit in front of 150 people or 500 people and just think, yeah, I'm kind of hearing that. It's a whole other thing to have a coach sit down with you and say, now let's examine your life issue by issue and see how we're doing. And it's not just you looking at them and coaching them. It's them coming back and sharing with you. And, and so here are these these questions that we ask each other. We ask each other these accountability questions like this, and this is on our app and in the look in section. Have you spent daily time in scriptures and in prayer? Have you had flirtatious or lustful attitudes, tempting thoughts, exposed yourself to explicit materials? Have you been a reproach in your financial dealings? Have you spent quality time with your family? See, it's because in the Beatitudes, Jesus was saying these comments like this, Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders would be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be be subject to judgment. Or he addressed adultery and lust in Matthew 5, 27. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Or he addresses forgiveness in chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. He's explaining how when we fall in love with God, we should forgive people. And so what we're doing in discipleship is just asking these questions. Here's a couple more. Have you told any half-truths or outright lies? Have you put yourself in a better light than you really are to other people? Have you exaggerated? Have you taken yourself through daily physical exercise and proper eating? Have you allowed any person or circumstance to rob you of your joy this week? And number nine, this is my favorite question, did you just lie to me? Isn't that a great equalizing question at the end of accountability? Did you just lie to me? What we're doing is we're just looking at our lives and saying how do they measure up to the values of the kingdom? And the, the thing is, It helps me as a disciple maker because then I have the people ask me these questions as well. And you go, wow, that's uncomfortable. Whoa, man, get off my back, Jack. That's, you know, and I think that's why Jesus at the end of this sermon says this, broad is the path that leads to destruction. This is Mark 7, 13 through 14. Broad is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few find it. Few find it. This, this is a narrow gate. This discipleship squeezes our life in a narrow way. But in the end, it leads to abundant life. It leads to life. It's such a beautiful thing when we get free. And this is what looking in is all about. Well, that brings us to our last key. And it comes from John chapter 4, 35. Jesus says this, do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. 
You know, the problem for us as Christians is sometimes we can go overboard on it being all about us in our spiritual life, in our church world, in our Christianity. It all of a sudden just revolves all about me. Instead of singing the song, it's all about you, Jesus, we sing, it's all about me. I mean, if you could really get in our heart in a worship song, it's all about me, Jesus, if you could do things my way, you know, that's what we're really singing. And, and, and it becomes about me hearing the right word, me singing the right song, me being in the right group that makes me feel good about myself. And Jesus is saying, hey, look out, look out, open your eyes to the harvest. This is what Mark was teaching me. Look out. Say, look out with me, church. Look out. So here we go. We have some eyes, and we are looking out. Ah, it's a little painful to look out, but we're, we're, we're looking out. You know, th there's a danger. There's, there's actually a medical condition that's talked about for people that get too focused on looking at themselves. It's called BDD, body dysmorphic disorder. And it's actually a sad disorder where people become so obsessed with looking at themselves that they can't really think of anything else. And they've done these studies concerning this, and they, they found that actually people that stare at themselves, the more someone stares in a mirror, the more stressed out and the more anxious they become. Isn't that interesting? The more we stare in a mirror, the more stressed out and anxious we become. Why? Because you're created to look out to others and not be overly focused on yourself. And so this is what Mark was teaching me. Robert, it's about giving it away. That's why we say get rock, get real, give it away every service. Because we want to give away our faith. That's how we become healthy followers of Jesus. Intrinsic in his call. He said, come and follow me, guys. And I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, in that first line where he's saying, come and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And so Mark started showing me in our discipleship times how to look out. You know, we, we, we'd meet in public places when, when we were doing discipleship time, and I was always annoyed because I'd be like, Mark, I don't like meeting in public places because you always get distracted talking to other people about Jesus. And he's like, hello, duh. <laughs> That's what discipleship's all about. But I, I was annoyed because I wanted the time all to myself. Yeah, have you ever noticed sometimes as, as Christians we become like human vacuum cleaners? We're like, <sighs> you know, like, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. We're like, we're like Christian cookie monsters. Cookie monster. Oh, you know, like, I want my Christian cookies, you know. And it's all about us and our little feeding and our, <sighs> our Christian vacuum cleaning. I, I remember being at a restaurant with Mark. And this woman comes up to the table and, you know, she's our waitress, and we're in a college town, and here we are, some younger guys, and she goes, hey, gentlemen, can I get you some beers on the tab, you know, or can I get you some margaritas? And Mark looks at her, I've, I've shared this story before, but Mark looks at her and goes, do you have any kegs? I'm like, what is he saying? Yeah, do you have any kegs? She looks at him all weird. He goes, you know, just drop the keg right on my table and put the nozzle in my mouth. Like, what is going on here with this guy? What are you saying? And she looks at him like, you are a freak. And all of a sudden he goes, just kidding, I'm a Christian. I'm like, oh, awkward. That was the most painful thing you, anyone's ever said, you know. And, and she looks at him and he goes, and so how can we pray for you? I'm like, okay, that was the worst intro line to talking about spiritual things in history. 
the next thing I know, she's pouring out her life to Mark there at the table and sharing about what's going on with her family. And all of a sudden, the next thing I know, Mark says, well, let's pray for you now. Robert and I love Jesus. Let's pray. And we are praying for this woman who he just told her he wanted a keg and then said, just kidding, we're Christians, and now we're having like a prayer huddle at a table in Chili's. I mean, what is going on here? You know, and it was in that moment that I realized it, it really doesn't matter how we share as much as people seeing how much we care. And I know that rhymed. But, but, but here's the deal. She saw the love of God in Mark's eyes, and it impacted her. And, and she, she understood this person actually cares about me, and it opened up the door for a spiritual conversation. And Mark would just share the gospel anyway, no matter how awkward it was, and people would just listen to him, feel loved, and sometimes they'd come to Christ. And I was just blown away by this. And I realized, okay, if he can do it that awkward, certainly I can share something a little less awkward. I mean, it really helped me. Because I was like, okay, if that works, then certainly I can say something a little more, you know, normal. I remember being with a, a young guy named Drew that I started disciple, discipling. And he had grown up in this big, really well-known church, great church. And he was a pastor's son. And, and, and so Drew was with me in line. We were, we were in line at Wendy's. And so we walk up to the counter and... Uh, the woman's name was Mary, and I asked her her name. You know, so often people never even get asked their name. I said, hey, what's your name? My name's Mary. Hi, Mary. I'm Robert. This is my friend, Drew. We're Christians. We love Jesus. We'd love to pray for you today. I look over at Drew. He's like, you know, he, his jaw has just dropped. He is in shock. How could you bring up Jesus in a Wendy's line? We only talk about Frosties. He, his jaw is dropped. And Mary just goes, oh, thank you so much. She starts talking about her little, her little child and how she needs prayer for her little child. I say, we'll pray for you, absolutely. We go sit down at the table. He goes, what was that? I said, man, I'm just asking her how we can pray for her. He goes, I've never seen someone bring up Jesus and share Jesus in a public place before. I'll tell you what, from that time on, Drew went on to become an amazing evangelist, sharing the gospel everywhere. It just took him seeing one time that we just open our mouths and publicly share, and it changes lives. And guys, that's what looking out is all about. It's just being with someone that you're investing in, someone a little younger in the faith, and just showing them, hey, we just bring up Jesus wherever we go. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be polished. We don't have to be a, a professional expositor of the word. We don't have to be a professional apologist. It's just about, I love Jesus, so I just talk about him. And when people see that, they, they feel empowered to do the same. The interesting thing about Mark is he would just take me around. You know, he called this the Great Commission lifestyle. So he was always talking to me, Robert, who are the, who are the people that don't know Jesus that you're praying for? Gosh, I don't know, Mark. I guess I'm not praying for anyone. And I'd see that he'd just have names written down that he'd be praying for people who didn't know Jesus. So I started writing names down of people who didn't know Jesus, and I started praying for them, and guess what happened? All of a sudden, I had opportunities to share with them, and all of a sudden, they get saved, and I just have to cross their name off the little list. Let's just cross the name after name. Do you have a little list of people that you're praying for that don't know Jesus? I mean, that was something so easy, but I never even thought about doing it. But when you start praying for them, there's power in prayer. And God starts giving you opportunities and all. Their, their hearts have been softened by the prayers 
that, that you've been invading heaven on their behalf and God's raining down his love on them and softening them up and then all of a sudden they come to Christ. Mark also showed me about discipling people. He was always talking to me, Robert, now who are you discipling? And he'd show me how he was discipling other people. He'd say, hey, Robert, why don't you come and sit in this meeting I'm going to have with this guy? And I'm like, why, why do you need me? I don't know how to do this. And we'd just sit there, and he'd be talking to a guy, and I'd be learning about how he was meeting with someone. I remember him saying, Robert, will you help me baptize this guy? And I was like, why do you need help baptizing the guy? The guy was a little fella, and I'm like, Mark, you're big and strong. Are you afraid you're going to drop him, you know, when you're baptized? Are you afraid you're going to, like, let him go in the water, and you, you think I'm strong? You're going to help me help you pull him out? Like, you can do this by yourself. And I remember helping him baptize the guy, and I went, ah, he's wanting to show me how to baptize someone. That's what he's doing because so many of us think I could never baptize someone. Like, I'm not a priest. I'm not a bishop. I don't, but he was just showing me, no, this is the normal Christian life. Like, we meet with people. We baptize people. We share with people. We, he'd, he'd have me come down front. He was one of the leaders in, in ministry time. And he'd say, Robert, why don't you come down and stand next to me as we pray for people? And I'm like, I'm not one of the leaders. But he'd bring me down. And I just learned to do, Robert, we're going to pray for the sick. Hey, just put your hand on their shoulder. He was just showing me how to do these things. And you know what? I learned little by little how to look out. And then I learned by it being modeled for me how to do this with other people. Guys, this, this discipleship thing is very simple. Just look up, look in, look out. It's just taking the little you have and, and giving it away. And the interesting thing is this. The Bible says in Philemon 1.6, I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you would know every good thing you have in Christ. I, I really honestly could say that I, I think I've grown more through the years by sharing about Jesus with people on the streets than I have about hearing about Jesus in sermons. And I think I've really learned more about trying to make disciples, as, as many mistakes as I made and as stupid of things as I said, than, than being discipled myself. Because you learn when you're giving it away. I pray that you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you would know every good thing you have in Christ. It's by giving that we receive. God wants to set you up. And, and so what I find is many Many Christians, they're saying, like, I kind of feel stagnant, or I kind of feel like my heart's a little cold towards the Lord. I just don't feel on fire. My, my question is, are you giving the little you've been given away? Because in the kingdom, it's not accumulating that gets you more. It's giving away that gets you more. So would you start just giving away? You just say, oh, I just have a little, I'm a new believer. I, I just love that these past weeks I'm constantly meeting people that have just come to Jesus and they bring up some girl. I mean, it was so funny this morning. She walked up to me outside and she goes, here's my little fish. I'm like, oh, that was hilarious. Like, no, that's a person. But she was just trying to say, this is my new person I'm discipling. This is my little fish. I'm like, okay, but that's awesome. Like, this is new for you, obviously. This is your little fish. But I'm like, praise God, you have a fish. She's doing something with what she's gotten with her little fish. That's awesome. Would you take the little you have and give it away to a little fish next to you? Would you take the little you've been given and give it away and watch what God does in your life as you do this? Look up, look in, look out. Would you stand up with me? Let's just pray. God, I, I've just loved 
having so many ones that are new to the faith in our church this past month come up and say, hey, I've got my first disciple, or here's my, here's my little fish, or I've got a, a, a spiritual younger brother or sister, or I'm starting to do this. I'm reproducing my life. Lord, I thank you that discipleship is for everyone. You said to your followers, go and make disciples of all nations. So, Lord, I thank you that every person in this room can do this. And I, and I know that there's some in this room, Lord, that they are just crying out tonight. They're crying out for someone to invest in them. And I, I pray that they take that bold step this week of asking someone to, to disciple them. Or they jump in one of our life groups and jump into a discipleship group. And Lord, we really, we know that this is your plan A for transforming our lives. That discipleship is the key. So, Lord, let's, I pray that you'd make us an obedient church that really makes disciples, and not just here, but Lord, as we go down to Mexico, that we'd make disciples there, Lord, that we'd make disciples in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, everywhere you distribute us, Lord, that we'd be disciple makers, and through that, we'd bring people to fall in love with Jesus. Prayer team, can you come up forward for me right now? If you need prayer for anything tonight, we just want to agree with you as we lead one last song of worship, whether that's a physical healing, whether you need to commit your life to Jesus tonight, whether you just need a breakthrough in your life, maybe you need boldness in actually going and investing in someone to make disciples. Would you just come and get prayer? Let's just finish this last song just by by praying together and by worshiping and let God finish this work in our heart tonight.